If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. I have crazy ambitions tonight. I have ambitions of going through two chapters. Does anybody palpitate at the thought of that uh, other than me? I'm very excited about what the Lord has in this, and it really is kind of a, it is a, a stream of thought that is almost uh, injustice to the text to, uh, wow, to really kind of break up. So let's see what we can do with it. Um, we're going we're gonna to go to the Lord right to prayer, and we're going to take it by section by section. Uh, there are, in essence, really four basic sections to it. They, three of them start with a big question, and then the last section, which is sort of, there's two sort of metaphors that are brought up in the midst of this, the one of marriage and the one of the body of death, which, by the way, are two very different things. So pray with me, if you would, please. Lord, thank you so much for our family. I, I just thank you for these amazing nights where the wind is blowing a little and uh, it's cooling off, but it's not too cold and there's a bit of rain and a bit of wet in the air and it just reminds us we're in London. I, I, I know, Lord, we, uh, we could be in Devon right now where it's snowing and there's 65 mile an hour winds. So thank you we're not there at the moment. Lord, I thank you that we could sit in this room and expect your word to teach us. I pray that you would minister profoundly, minister so deeply in our hearts that you would speak to every one of us right where we need to hear you. And so, Lord, I pray as you settle our hearts, as you still our hearts, as you move in our hearts, do that now, I pray. Have your way. Lord, we come to be touched by you, to be spoken to, to be addressed. But Lord, not so we can simply have more knowledge. Although today there will be issues of knowledge. But Lord, so that we could be more like you. Because our heart's desire is to become greater like you, Jesus. A greater priest, a greater shepherd a greater lover of the lost and the, and the saved, a greater friend of sinners, and yet in that never to be tainted by the world, but to be the influencer. So Lord, have your way now, I pray. Do amazing things. Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Immerse me in your spirit, not by your great... Um, not just because not because I've earned it, but rather instead out of your great grace. Because you love this flock, teach them and me. Because you love me, use me to do so, I pray. Have your way now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight, as I would any night, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say. I'm going to do something a little different tonight. I'm going to actually ask you to read to yourself the next two chapters, chapters 6 and 7. I'm going to give you a small period of time. Don't read it too quickly. But the goal is first that you would, in your own quiet moment here, let your heart be quiet before the Word as God ministers. So take now chapters six and seven, and just read them if you would. So quietly now, grab your Bible, open it up, Romans six and seven, and just go ahead and read them. Lord, let your scripture come alive for us now. 
that we could have so much fun in your word, learning and drawing close to you, making our hearts and our minds yours for the shaping. Lord, have your way now, I pray. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to title this message, it would be called The Problem with Grace. In chapters 1 and 2, we see sin. Either by conscience or by law, we're all guilty. In chapter 3, the Bible makes clear here that since sin is universal, and thus guilt is universal, and the need, therefore, is universal, well, then, therefore, the saving is also universal. God showed that the entire world has the same need, whether you're Indian, whether you're American Indian, whether you're East Indian, whether you're English or Greek or Jewish, religious or non-religious, grew up in a holy home or grew up in a test tube. It doesn't matter where you came from. If you're a human being, you're a sinner, that sin stands before God and must be dealt with. And God has offered the entire world one answer to make it easy. And that answer is Jesus Christ. His death on the cross, His offering of that gift of forgiveness, His innocence for our guilt, His life for our death, His resurrection as a new life. And that's what we saw then in chapter 3 as it came to the head. In chapter 4, we saw that that was not a new idea, but that was the biblical precedent already set through Abraham's example and through David's song. In chapter 5, to conclude our second section, chapters 1 and 2 addressing sin, chapters 3 through 5 primarily addressing salvation, God makes really clear that in the essence of it all, there are two men. There's the old man, the child of Adam, born with its own selfish lusts and ambitions. And then there's the new man, Jesus, God in the flesh, who conquered death and gave life and immortality now into the world. And to understand God's gift is His salvation. Anything else that is out there is not a gift. It is a work. It is a system for you to work. And because of that, it makes it really simple and clear that in its simplest sense, everything else is a counterfeit. God is offering a gift. And isn't it just like man to try to turn a free gift into something that involves ten easy payments? Well, there's the idea. So in chapters 1 and 2, the area of sin is addressed. And in the simplest sense, everybody has done it, therefore everyone stands guilty other than Jesus who is God in the flesh. Chapters 3 through 5 is our second section. That's the area of salvation. In the simplest sense, there's a universal need, therefore there's a universal Savior. The same thing was preached through Abraham, through the idea of being right by faith, not by your works. The same thing was sung by David when David sung, Blessed is the man whose transgression or iniquity or sins are forgiven. In chapter 5, again, in salvation, there's the old man that's been crucified. That's Adam, the man of the curse. The new man, God now clothed in human flesh, now dwells on the earth. And that takes us to our third section, chapter 6 through 8. 
And our third section, the simple S word, would be the word sanctification. In the simplest sense, what that means is being set apart. Please hear me on this. Because if men, if we built our doctrine as carefully, or our lives as, as carefully as Romans is set up, well then clearly we would do more than chapters 1-5. through five. And that becomes the real basics in a lot of churches. Now I'm not saying an us and them thing. We as the body of Christ have to reckon before God with what we've been faithful and unfaithful with. But please hear me. A sinner needs to be saved. We recognize that. The, sinner, the whole world's a sinner. There are many churches that won't even tell you that much. They won't even mention the word sin. But let me just say it, that the entire world stands guilty before God because we all sin. God has provided one opportunity for salvation. That's Jesus Christ. And whether we like it or not, if you don't accept the gift of Jesus Christ, you will go to hell. And we're afraid to say it, but we need to say it because somebody's got to be kind enough to tell you the truth. But once you've given your life to Jesus Christ, it isn't like now God's like, well, then we'll just wait till you die and let's get you to heaven. He's got a plan for you. And once you've given your life to Christ, God starts this process of setting you apart from the rest of the world. Please hear me in this. God does not want you to look like the rest of the world. The rest of the world is dead in their transgressions, dead in their iniquity and sin. And if the rest of the world is dead, why would you want to look like the rest of the world when you're alive? You are the one person out there that's supposed to be doing more than just not being dead. God is going to raise you up to be the lifeguard, the, the EMT. The person at A&E that defibrillates and performs CPR and, and actually watches people come to life. And so in chapters 6 through 8, and that's why we love these chapters, most people, unless you have a specific heavy doctrinal bend in one particular area, more than likely 6 through 8 will be your favorite chapters of all of Romans. More people claim 8 specifically as one of their favorite chapters in all of the Bible because of the promises that are wrapped up in it. But please understand, 6 and 7 come before 8 in every number system unless you've got some really weird math going on. In chapter 6 and 7, we deal with the problem of grace. Grace isn't a problem unless you address it from a sinful mind. Notice in chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 15, chapter 7, verse 7, there are questions that start with, well, well, then what do we say then? Notice in all three cases, the answer is certainly not, or God forbid. Now understand, here's the way it looks. Naomi was a sinner like the rest of us. One day, somebody loved her enough to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to her, and he said, Jesus will forgive every one of your sins. He proved it on the cross. And Naomi said, I'll take it. And she accepted the gift of Jesus Christ. But the moment you accepted Jesus Christ, now you have to deal with, well, what happens with every sin from this point on? There is within a specific group of people, which we do not agree with, that will tell you that Jesus died for every sin before you got saved. And now you've got to go to the church for their help for the rest of them. Nothing could be further from Scripture than that. For every sin has been paid for on the cross. Nowhere in Scripture will you find that. You find what they've been sharing. So please understand, you deal then with the fact, well, well then, wait a minute. If, if Jesus is going to forgive every sin, and He's paid for them on the cross, do I really need to stop sinning? I mean, after all, He's just going to forgive them anyways, right? 
Now, you know what's sad? Is how common that mindset is within the church. Now, we may not say it like that. Let's be honest. We may not say it like that because we kind of know how stupid we sound if we talk like that. But has anyone ever said something like this? Hey, bro. Maybe this is, you could tell this is what we hear in California. Hey, bro. It's easier to do it and ask for forgiveness than actually just to go and ask for permission first. Has anyone ever told you anything like that? Well, understand that that's why God gave us chapter 6 and 7. Because God has, in the simplest sense, a very stern address to those ideas of, you know, what difference does it make? Because, you know, if I'm going to do it, God's just going to forgive me anyways, right? Well, that's why he gives us these chapters. And he's going to end with such a disgusting and therefore beautiful metaphor that it should ring in our eyes for good reason. Here's our first question. Look at it with me. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Since now we've received grace. And understand grace. Caris simply means gift. God has given us the gift of salvation. And in that gift includes the forgiveness of all of our sins. Not just the ones we've done, but the ones we have yet to commit as well. And with that, then should we just live the way we did before? This is his answer. Certainly not. How then, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. If we who have been united together in the likeness of His death certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that the old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For He who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we should also live with Him, knowing this or that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. And the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise also then you, reckon yourself dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves as being to God, as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, or under law, but under grace. In the first 14 verses, here's the simple question, and perhaps it's one you've dealt with. More than likely, practically you have, even if you haven't thought it through. And that is, well, now that I'm a Christian, now that I'm saved, what should be different? And my answer to you is everything. There really shouldn't be any area of your life that shouldn't change. Now, whether you like it or not. Now, now please hear me on this. Notice, by the way, not only is he going to ask these questions in 6.1, 6.15, and 7.7, and there will be the certainly not, but notice also the focus on do you not know, do you not know, knowing this, knowing that. There's something about this that there's an assumption that if you're thinking this way, you're probably ignorant. There's the idea. 
Now, now follow me on this. Okay, so here becomes the problem, and I'm going to address something. I'm going to go for the jugular on one specific, and, and, and you know this by now. I tend not to dance around anything. Homosexuality. And the reason is, it is in the sight of God, it is a sin like other sins. God's not changing his mind on any of them. He also thinks, by the way, a guy that actually has premarital sex with a girl is still a sin too, by the way. Two people living together, saying they're kind of married in their mind, but not standing before God and acting like it, like they're married, is still a sin to God too. Here's my biggest problem, though, with that specific lifestyle sin is, like some other areas, is that specific sin becomes such an identity that the idea is, God's got to save me, but I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to give Him permission to do anything with that. And as long as He bends to that, I'll let Him save me. Do you see what I'm saying? Now understand, we may all do that in areas, and understand, it doesn't have to be something God calls a sin to become a sin or an idol the moment you tell Him He can't touch it. The moment you tell God He can't change it, He can't touch it, you can go in anywhere, but don't go in the east wind. You're already being like the beast. That's the idea here. Now whatever that is, and the only reason I address that is because when we're sharing, that's where that goes. Well, God made me this way. Why? Because you have that tendency? If I have a tendency towards violence, but I would not tell you God made me violent. But someone will say, well, I have a right to be who I am. And I'd say, well, then I have a right to be who I am. I should be able to beat you up because that's who I am. Now, I'm not trying to pick on anyone. Get the idea here because in the end of it all, here's the question. Should we then just live like we did before? And James, by the way, that's the whole book of James. There are people that say, I believe in God, but there's no change to them whatsoever. And he says, I don't believe in your faith. That particular kind of faith that doesn't do anything to people isn't the kind of faith that I believe in, James speaking. He says, your faith needs to be one that works. He says, even demons say they believe that God is one, and they have brains enough to shudder, and I'm not going to expect to see them in heaven. So just saying you believe can't be enough if demons do that. Do you get me on this? So here's the idea. He says, okay, well, now that I've given my life to Christ, now what? Well, then let God reinvent you. And here's the simplest part. Should we just live the life we did before? And he says, of course not. Certainly not. I'll tell you why. Because you are not who you used to be. Chapter, the last chapter, we're two Adams. You're not the son of Adam anymore. Now you're the progeny of the Father in heaven. And that's a whole new spiritual DNA. You should start looking like your new dad because you're born again. Does that make sense? Now understand if, you were, if, if Annie was raised in a terribly poor part of Finland, she lived in a little shack beside a sauna and just barely made it. She came out every morning and just kind of covered herself in dirt and pretended like she had one leg and she sat on something and she just went, please, and looked for money. And then one day at the age of nine, some very benevolent and kind-hearted Marcia sees her. She's on a trip. She is to Finland. And as she's on the trip to Finland, she goes and she walks by and sees this precious little girl. And she sees her and she says, Honey, do you not have a home? And she says, No. And 
she goes, well, then why don't you come with me? Now, obviously, that breaks Hague treaties and all of that kind of stuff, but let's just follow me on the theatricity of this for a moment. And she takes Annie, and she brings her to London to live with her, and she lavishes her in love and gives her clothing and notices she has two legs and gives her shoes, not just shoe, and, and, and all of this. And, but the problem is, is every morning, Annie's still gone, and she's out in front of her house now, faking the one-leg thing, still asking for money because she still can't get into her mind that she's in a new life now. And the problem is, you've been adopted by the King of Kings. But it's been more than that because this is something that surpasses our science. Practically, our whole life, our mannerisms should change because we are in a different home now. And because we're in a different home, we shouldn't be living groveling for things and thinking somehow maybe we could get by. That kind of talk is for the unbeliever and should be for the unbeliever. But that kind of talk shouldn't be for us. There's no part of us where we should be like, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm making it through another day. I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Yeah, well, get it out. Because it's obviously somewhere not to be found in you. And we see that happen. But there's something else that happens beyond our science, and that is that you've been born again. Could you imagine? Think about what this would be like. Let's say that Lucas, his entire life, what he always wanted to be was dark-skinned and taller. And he's just like, you know, I just really, I would love to be like super buff, way strong, not that you're not, bro, you know, darker skinned and really tall. But there's not much he can do about that. There's some surgeries or drugs he could take, but it's only going to get him so far. But what if he had the opportunity to actually surrender himself, let's say, to Peter's family? Wouldn't you go there, right? Right? If those, those of you don't know Peter, he's like, nine, he's like Goliath. But anyway, um, and he actually, and what if he could surrender himself and somehow he could surrender his DNA to them and they could put their DNA into him and every, all of a sudden his entire DNA would change. All of a sudden, next week he's a foot taller, he's much darker, and he's got like these pecs that can crack a walnut, you know, and he's like walking in like this and we're like, whoa, what happened to you, Lucas? And he's like, nothing, man, I just got a new DNA change. I'm like, whoa, who... Peter, it's Peter, isn't it? Right? And we kind of think that. And the reason I say that is, is that that's contrary to our science at this stage. Who knows? Give it five years, we'll see. But, but imagine if that could happen. Well, that's what happened to you spiritually when you accepted Christ. Because God took who you were, that, that the DNA of Adam, and he pulled it out and he replaced it instead now with the DNA of, of, of God himself. Is that crazy? He goes, look it. And this is what he goes, like, how do I explain it? Let me explain it in this sense. God took the old Shirley and he put old Shirley on a cross and he nailed Shirley to a cross and let her die there because he's got a brand new Shirley that's going to raise up, that's going to look like Jesus. Without the beard, but you get the idea. Now, now follow me on this. Most people's testimonies is like 99% who you were and then you got crucified and it's over. But what happened to the part of the raised up part? 
We joke about that at baptism. If we did a baptism like many people's testimonies, we'd drown you because we'd say, well, this is who I used to be. And we'd leave you down because there's like nothing new, right? But it's like, well, let me ask you, who in the world are you now? Because aren't you supposed to be something different? And here's the scary thing. If you don't go to the Word for it, you're going to get your definition back from the world. And I guarantee you, it's not going to be accurate. They're like, well, you're dead like the rest of us, empty like the rest of us. Not anything unless you're this beautiful and unless you're this rich and you have the new iPhone 5 and you have the, I mean, it's like that. And it's like, we, oh, wow. And, we, and there's something that doesn't jive in our spirit, right? And, but we can't even put our finger on it. He says, what, so should we live like we used to? He goes, why in the world would you do that? That's not who you are anymore. That person is dead. Do you really want that to be who you are now? He goes, knowing this, that old man was crucified, but just as Jesus... And he goes, and you, when you were baptized just a week ago, when you were baptized, you went in, and this guy did, crazy as it was, it wasn't even 10 degrees outside. It wasn't even 10. Believe me, I know. And, and many of you huddled like beggars, like mendicants, like something from a Dickens play, right? And you were all underneath the pier. Do you remember that? And you're like, I know that because like, I think I handed out like 12 or 15 or 20 different sweatshirts. I don't even know how I have that many. I don't now. And, and you know, and, and, and everyone's like, I'm like looking, it's like my closet is sitting in front of me. And everyone's like this, right? And you're not even going in the water. And, but there was three crazy guys that were, and that's one of them. And he came up and he says, look, this is what happened to me. This is it. I was an old guy and bam, I went down. And I want you to know, just like Jesus did. And he says, just like Jesus, that's what happened to me. But then, up he came, and just like, and I tell you, just like him and Jay, where's Jay? I thought I saw Jay. He's around here, right? Hello. Hi. Hey. Spec savers. All right. This guy, when he went into the water, you know this, he fled the tomb, right? It's like one of the most beautiful things. And I have a friend, one of my pastors that we had in America, I just want you to know, he said that you guys are the most Pentecostal church I've ever seen because not only did you baptize, but a guy walked on water on his way out. <laughs> but it's, well, that just snort. And that's on tape, maybe. All right, so get this. Get this. When, we, when you guys went down into the water, you're like, this is like Jesus when he went down into the tomb, right? But as he rose from the grave, so are you now new. And just like you are new now, you, know, you might not always walk on water, but it was pretty amazing. You ever see those lizards that do it? That's what he looked like. He was just... Like, right? Well, now get this. As it was the case, he goes, why in the world do you want to live like the guy that got crucified? Why do you want to live like that old guy now? Now, please hear me. Because within the body of Christ in Mass, there will be people that will play this game with you. They'll be like, what's the big deal, bro? It's just a couple of these. It's just this. Now listen, listen what, what Romans is going to tell us. Please hear me. It says, whatever is done outside of faith is a sin. Did you hear that? Could tennis be a sin? If you're not sure, it is yes. Isn't that sad? Well, or not. It all depends on where you, how you feel about tennis. But, I mean, if tennis makes you bet, maybe so. But the point is, it's like, if you're not sure it's a sin, don't do it. But if you're around anyone that goes, no, 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 man, come on, everybody else is doing it. 
You don't need friends like that. What you need are friends that say, you know what, I respect you enough that if you're not sure, let's back off and not give you pressure. Let's do something else. Because that's where we want to go. We want to start looking different than the rest of the world. Does that make sense? That's our first section. So should we live like we used to? And the answer is, I hear my, my nine-year-old go, duh, of course not. Because you're not that person anymore. If you're not that person, why do you want to play that role? Let me put it in this particular sense, because this is, is um, and he'll tell us the, the practical aspect of it is there's a command or two, and starting in verse 11. But let's just say that Bruno was like 40, 50 stone. I mean, the, the guy was a large man. And he went on to, you know, Britain's biggest loser, right? Completely fasted from bangers and mash, bubbling, squeaking, and anything covered in gravy or grease, which basically means salad now. And, and, and even some of those he couldn't go near. And so, and all of a sudden, Bruno now has completely changed. He's a brand new guy. Very, very, very different. Could you imagine how silly it would be if he tried to grab his old clothing and try to put it back on him? I mean, he might as well share it because at that point, there will be enough room for more than him. And yet, that's what we do. You know why? Because he used to love those trousers. He's been with those trousers for years, but he hasn't been with the new Bruno for very long. So he's more familiar with his trousers than he is with the new Bruno. Does that make sense? And you still think he walks by the store and he still looks for the big and large, high and mighty stores because that's where he used to shop. But now those places, listen, 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 those places don't apply anymore. Do you get it? Because the problem is, if you don't, you'll be shopping at places that don't apply anymore. If Bjorn's been healed from a from a leg that was so fractured and healed wrong that he could never walk on it. And so he lived his life on a crutch. And then the Lord healed him. Every time he went by one of those places that sold crutches, he would be looking to see what the newer model was. It just doesn't apply to him anymore. Could he get a crutch, put it underneath himself and still limp? Absolutely. But we all agree that would be dumb. It would be un. Necessary Christians, please hear me. There are many things out there that were a crutch to you before you got saved. And it's amazing how we could blame the unbeliever for those things. But if you don't have Christ, it makes perfect sense. Now, I'm not in any way endorsing pornography or drunkenness or drug abuse or fighting, but I can tell you this, without Jesus, you've got to find something and you're going to go through whatever the enemy's going to sell you. And those things are traps. But once you give your life to Christ, those things are unnecessary. Gossip, backstabbing, rumors, we all have our things but they're no longer needed because you are not who you were. So I'm not the kind that normally does this, but I just want you to say confidently if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, and I want you to hear yourself say it, I am not who I was. Go ahead and say it. Come on, let me go and say it. I am not who I was. Now some of you sounded fairly confident. Some of you are still kind of working it out. So let me give it to me again. Come on, here we go. 
Okay, one more time. I know this is sounding like some kind of, you know, convention. But just the same. You need to hear it. What is it? What are you saying? What is it? I am not who I was. And that's the truth. So let's not act like it anymore. And you know what? Here's the crazy thing. If I'm not who I was, then I'm not going to go out and do those things anymore. And say, oh, it's just a little. Or I don't, you know, I kind of need. Look at, look at, let me just say this. You don't need alcohol to calm you down. You don't need a movie for you to lose yourself. You don't need coffee. You can have coffee, but the moment you think you need something, you're in trouble. Now look at, just be careful with that. Because we are acting like the world. The world needs things because they're crutches. We need Jesus. Everything else can be a want, but let's be honest. Let's stop playing the need game. I need a mate. You have one. His name is Jesus and He's perfect. Don't trade Him in for anyone else because I guarantee you it's a step down. Second one, verse 15. And by the way, here the, this is what He says, by the way, verse 11. Well, reckon yourself dead to sin. Here's the challenge of it. Reckon, by the way, the word is logizomai. Could you say logizomai? It literally means take inventory. And this is what he says. Reckon yourself indeed dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the first thing. And don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And don't present your members as instruments of righteousness. Now, the two primary words is the word reckon to take inventory. So this is the idea. In the morning, tomorrow, when you wake up and you read the word, I want you to look and go, hey, that part of me is dead. That's dead body. Don't want it. It's a dead body. I don't want to drag it around with me today. You know, it may get me a seat on the train, but I don't want to get a seat on the train and have it by carrying a dead body with me. That's still sick and wrong. I don't want that dead body anymore. I'm taking inventory. That's dead. And you go, you know what? Hey, you know what? You can still go and look at porn. You're dead. You know what? You can still go out and get a little drunk today. You're dead. You know, you can still go out and scope the girls or scope the guys. You're dead. That guy's dead. That girl's dead. So you really want to play that? Pick up that dead body? It's dead. Let it be dead. Let it rot. That's how this starts. You with me so far? Second thing, it says present. Don't present and present. And the word there, paris, the literally means to stand beside. Think of it as when the trumpet's blown and there goes everyone sort of on the line for deployment and you go, here I am, here I am, can't wait to sin. Here I am, I'm ready to sin. Where am I? Where? And that's, he's saying, don't do that. Second question then, verse 15. Shall we, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Now, in the first case, it's like, look, it, I'm just going to stay the person I was. And God says, you're not the person you were, so you can't stay that person. You're going to be miserable trying to be who you were because you're not that guy anymore. Now, on the second case, it's like, well, yeah, but the opportunity comes out. I go, oh, I can still just kind of do that every once in a while because after all, I'm going to be forgiven. I've got grace. And he goes, certainly not. Read it with me, verses 15 now. It says, what then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? Whether to sin leading to right, to death, sorry, sin leading to death, or to obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine for which you were delivered, or to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. 
For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, well, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin, and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness and to the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life and our Lord our Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, I'm sorry, our Lord. And then he'll go into a metaphor here in a moment. Now follow me on this. In the first case, should I live the way I was before? And God says, why? You're not who you were before. Okay, that answers the question. You were buried. That old guy, he's buried and dead. Don't try to dig him up. There's a new guy. Why don't you get to know him? He's going to start looking more like Jesus every day. I'm way excited about that. I love to remind my family, tomorrow I'm going to look more like Jesus. I think they might think, can't wait for next week. But here's the second question. Also, what? Should we be ca- listen, listen, should we be casual about sin? Please understand one of the biggest sins that I'm in my life is carelessness. And I and you know what? God has given me a teenager that really shows me what that looks like. Oh, I kind of saw it. You meant no you didn't. You know, I'll just be careless because somehow I think I could kind of think my way through this. Look at There's no room for carelessness in the body of Christ. Aren't you thankful that your liver isn't careless? Okay, toxins, water, what's the difference? Throw a little in this and that. That's called a reflex and that gets really dangerous. I mean, imagine that part of you that swallows that goes, oh, let's just barf every once in a while. It'll be kind of fun, liven things up. And then you've got like a, you know, your entire esophagus is burned from the acid and you're like, what in the world's wrong with me? You've got a reflux. You've got, your body's doing something on its own that the rest of your body doesn't really agree with. Neither should we, friends. And this is what he says. So should we then just sin. Should we make that choice to sin every once in a while? Be casual. What's the big deal? What's, you know, hey, come on. He says, look it. Whether you know it or not, and please hear me, you're going to serve something. You will never be a free agent. And that becomes the danger of this. In the first case, in verse 6, notice he says that the old man was crucified, that the body of sin might be done away with. That we're done away with for what it's worth is the word katagecho. And the word is used in 1 Corinthians 15.26 when he says the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. The word destroyed there. It's the word in Ephesians 2.15 when it says having abolished the, the, in his flesh the enmity that is between Jew and Gentile. In 2 Thessalonians 1.10 it's the word that says having abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's the word that is said in Hebrews 2.14 when it said inasmuch as the children had participated or had flesh and blood he likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death and release those who all their life were subject or held in fear or held captive in fear by that death or, or fear of death. He says he would destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Listen, please hear me. The words destroy, abolish, abolish. Literally it means render, rendered idle. Let me put it in a term some of you might not get, but forgive me. I, it's just the one that makes the most sense. If you've got an, a manual transmission in your car, 
You have a stick shift. You've got to put it in gear yourself. And you can rev it up. But sooner or later, you've got to kick that thing in gear, and as soon as you kick it in gear, the car is going to move in whatever direction the stick tells it to. Are you with me so far? Now, imagine, if you will, you took that gearbox and you ripped it out and so that there, didn't, there wasn't anything underneath there that the stick could engage in. You could still rev. But you couldn't get it into gear. You could rev all day, but it ain't going anywhere. That's what it says Jesus did to Satan. It says he runs around like a roaring lion. But the problem is he can't eat you. It's like if you've ever been at the zoo when he can kind of get up to the, to the gates and he can roar and get all crazy. Do you know the most dangerous thing that can happen to a lion when he's behind those gates? Don't get close because sometimes they pee. I have several stories of friends that are like, what's he doing? He's kind of walking away. Yeah, it's not good. That's dangerous. But not as dangerous as getting eaten by the lion. Now, here's the idea. Satan can't eat you. You belong to the good shepherd. He can maybe pee on you, but you can take that metaphor if you want. But he can, he can roar. And he's like, but he can't get it into gear anymore because God ripped out his transmission. That's the idea here. And that's what it said in the first portion about the old guy. So here's the crazy part. You're trying to reinstall a transmission in the dead body. Now here we are going, well, you should just make the choice to sin. And he goes, look at whether you know it or not, you're going to be a servant. And that's the idea of a slave. The only difference is in back in those days, nobody handed out a CV. You were poor. You sold yourself into service somewhere. And that was called a slave. Interesting, because in those days, all that meant is you actually couldn't tell your boss when you were going to show up. You didn't have a union that backed you up. Now, in those days, that guy said, this is when you show up and this is what you do. And you said, yes, sir. And he says, you're going to be like that with one or the other. You can still, listen, because don't miss this, you can still submit yourself to the horrible taskmaster of your old sin. So here you are, you're new, you're saved, and you're like, I don't know, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. Shouldn't I be absolutely free and God says, you are. You are free to submit yourself to that jerk again if you want to, but you don't have to. And that's the second section. He goes, look at So you're like, so what? Okay, you know, just like a little bit of sin. What's the deal? And he goes, you realize that sin is inviting you now to a place where you can actually, you can be a slave to it again. That's the point of it. And that's why he says, do you really want that? He goes, on one side, you're going to serve the Lord. And if you do, that will lead to righteousness, to being right with Him. And as it leads to righteousness, it's going to lead to holiness. And that holiness is going to lead to eternal life. You're going to end up with this life, not just existence, but life. Eternally, not just good moments. Like, wow, that was a really great moment. We were at church and we kind of got whooped up during that song. God said, that never has to end. That kind of eternal life. Because that's, what, that's what's on this side. Let me tell you about the other side. You can choose to submit yourself again to a horrible taskmaster. He goes, well, let me tell you where that leads. It leads to shame. That's what he told us here. He says it leads to lawlessness. And by the way, lawlessness, by the way, we still use the term today. When we say, um, <coughs> excuse me, that a person is an antinomian, if you've ever heard the term, what that means is you kind of make up your own rules. We might say an anarchist. But please hear me on this that he says that lawlessness leads to further lawlessness. 
Listen to that carefully. Lawlessness leads to further lawlessness. So what happens if you say, you know, I know the Lord says this is bad, but I'm going to say it's not so bad. He goes, that's going to lead to worse lawlessness. In other words, God knows when something's gateway, as we might say. And so you say, you know what? It's not really... Okay, I used to be there, and now I'm here. I'm only here... But the bottom line is, why would you want to get close to that which once owned you? How close do you want to get to the guy with the whip and the knife to see how close you get before you get stabbed again? You say, well, I kind of feel like I'm a different person. You are. You're actually free to walk away from that. You couldn't before. Now you can. So what, should we play around with that anymore? Come on, just a couple images on the internet. What's the big deal? And unfortunately, they know that. So what happens is you could try to flip on something. You know, we found this site where you can get like the, um, the sports, you know, that sort of streams in. And we just, I just found out, it shows you how up I am on things, that the Chicago Bulls are in the playoffs again. Whoop-de-doo, you could probably care less. That's a basketball team for some of you. Um, born and raised in Chicago, that's, you know, like it's like 11.30 at night, and I thought, well, that's really cool. I tap onto the thing, and it's like three. Hi, want to come and see me? Hi, I'm, are you kidding me? And I'm like, you know, you kind of click those things off, and it's like, if you ever see them, they're creative now, so where there's that big X you're supposed to click, well, it's not the big X, it's a littler X, and so you like go to it, and it like moves, and you have to like find it, and you're like, okay, you know, it's like the weirdest thing. And I, the first thing I did is I said, Suzanne, before you actually get into the, the bathtub, you need to come here and see this. Because I'm not even going to try to click these things off until you see what's on the screen here. Because this is awful. And I'm like, Lord, I don't even want to see this. And, and the only reason I say that is, is that it's like, you know what happens when you just go, well, no one else is in the room. I kind of... We make sure that all of our browsing records are actually sent to each other. We have that among our guys here because we want to make sure that the guys know. Look at If we're going someplace even questionable, it sends something to one of the other guys and says, hey, 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 I just want you to know. But it's not just that. You used to be a drunkard and now you're like, I just have a beer with the boys. Really? Why? Because you need it? You know, well, come on, you know, I, I don't really go out and sleep with the girls anymore. I just go and sit at those places where we kind of scope them out. Really? Do you need it? Well, you know, we don't really talk bad about the girls like we used to. We just kind of say it's, a, we, what we would say is, I have this prayer request. Did you hear? It's still gossip, right? You know it? I'm really concerned. I'm really concerned because I actually heard that Deborah's not even Italian. She's Portuguese, but she doesn't want anyone to we need to pray for her. So gossip is what that is. You get the idea. And it's like, you know, and say, like, ask Daniela. And someone's going, hey, and we're afraid. And the people are whispering. And you're like, what in the world's going around here? It's still sin. And he says, so listen, listen to this. So shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? No, don't you know that whoever you present yourself to, and that's how we ended the last section, right? Don't present your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness. Whoever you present to, you are offering yourself as their servant. You can offer yourself as a servant to sin, or you can offer yourself as a servant to the Lord, but there's no middle ground. You're not a free agent. Listen what Scripture says. And so, so you kind of know this. First of all, it says in Galatians 5.13, you've been called to liberty. 
But don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He goes, you know why I set you free? I didn't set you free to sin. I set you free to serve because you couldn't do that before. Now, at the end of it, he says this in verse 23. The wage of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I'll go th- I want to kind of capture this concept for a moment and we'll move on to our last section. Please hear me. When God speaks of death, that becomes the problem because our definition, and by the way, can I just say like every other area, we need to be careful to get God's definition for God's terms. Because the enemy could actually give you a whole new dictionary with the same vocabulary, and it'll mean the opposite, and then the verses mean nothing anymore. When Paul first got saved, it says that he disappeared. According to the book of Galatians, he actually disappeared for three years to Arabia. We don't read it in the book of Acts because it wasn't anything he was doing. But you kind of get the idea, after all that learning, he kind of had to get away and go, God, if you really are real, Jesus, if you really are everything you claim to be, how do I reconcile all that I learned if this Bible, listen, 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 if this Bible really is completely accurate, and I do believe it is, I mean completely accurate, you have a responsibility to open it up and say, if this book is real, how do I reconcile what I was taught in science class compared to what the Bible says? Because listen, I don't reconcile the Bible to the, the other information. I reconcile anything else to the Bible. Because the Bible is the authority. And if it disagrees with the Bible, it's wrong. That's my view on it. So if someone says, well, I think maybe we can bend and twist. No, actually, if I just read the Bible, this is what I would come up with, and I think God knows how to say something. We don't have to question him on that. How do I look at you now? How do I look at what a successful church should look like? How do I look at myself as a pastor or as a Christian or as a father or as a husband? How do I look at those definitions according to Scripture and not just what media portrays the big oafy guy that needs to be saved by his wife according to the media? How do I get my identity from what God showed me about what a man looks like? A real man, a real husband, a real father, a real pastor, a real Christian. What does that guy look like? But I'm going to have to get it here because I'm not even going to get it from you or from the world because that's the pure place to get it. And so that's what Paul had to do. And I think we all need to do that in our areas because now that God's made us a new creation, we need to reconcile everything in our life. Hey, does this really play out or doesn't it? Is this part? I put down every instrument I ever played musically and swore I'd never play again. And it wasn't like Abraham and Isaac going, well, go ahead and tell me anytime now. Tell me what. None of that. I didn't think I'd ever pick up another instrument. I didn't even sing for six months. And I tell you what, that was because I didn't want that to be my identity. I laid down every sporting event that I ever did, any form of athletic activity, because I didn't want that to be my identity. I wanted my identity to be Jesus. That's important. We get to this section. Now listen, when God talks about death, that is an area we need to define. And this is the problem. In Genesis 2, when God spoke to Adam and he said, on the day that you eat of it, mutamut, in the Hebrew, it literally means you'll die to die. It's called a double infinitive. It means surely, you can bet on that. On the day that you eat it. Not in the relative time period, you'll die within a thousand years. And they go, well, wait a minute. On the day they ate of it, they didn't keel over and go, ah, it's poisonous! 
yes! They're, you know, and then there they were. Eve's performing CPR on Adam, and then Adam turns around and performs CPR on Eve. There's none of that. So somehow there must be something different in God's definition than mine. But listen, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. That is a separation of two things that were supposed to be brought together to bring life. On the day that Adam ate, he was separate from intimacy with God the Father. There was nothing between them before that. They were that intimate, and they lost it. Now, when someone dies, what hurts us is we lost the relationship with them. You can look at the shell, the jersey that person once wore that's called their body, but you can't do anything with them anymore. It isn't like you can look and go, hey, tomorrow I would love to, because they can't do it with you. You've lost that relationship. I think what God gave us physically helps us to understand what God experiences every day with every person that walks out there that doesn't know Jesus. It's like he's got plans for them, but they won't go to them. He's got a desire for them to enjoy fellowship with them, but they won't be there. Could you see how that hurts him? And our hearts need to be like that. And he says, you now, you're saved. You're brought to life. You have that relationship with him. Why would you want to do anything that leads to death again? Didn't you hate it before? God says, I hated it. That's why I sent my son to die on the cross for you. So I wouldn't have to be away from you ever again. Please don't jump into that again. Don't submit yourself to that which leads to death. I hated it the first time. I don't like it anymore now. Listen, I don't want to love anything that nailed my Savior to the cross. I don't want to love anything that killed my Lord so that he could have me. So we get to chapter 7, and it picks up quickly. In chapter 7, he brings us this metaphor and he says, and the, and the whole idea of the whole idea of this, by the way, in the verse six verses, is the idea of marriage. Notice what it says. It says, "Do you not know, brethren? I speak to those who are under the law that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For a woman who is a husband is bound by the law by, to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then, while her husband lives and she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress." But if her husband dies, well, then she's free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she marries another man. Therefore, my brethren, you've also become dead to the law that through the body of Christ that you might be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Listen, listen, listen. The end of verse 4, that we should bear fruit to God. It moves now to fruit, to bearing fruit. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions of with, which were aroused within the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now that we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were once held by, so that we should now serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. And the idea of that is, now look at, now that you've been set free, that new person is to be unified with Christ to bear forth fruit. Jesus said that in chapter 15 in at least four different places that he desires for us to bear fruit, but we have to cling to him to do so. So verse 7, so then what do we say? The last question, is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. I would not have known covetousness except for that the law said you shall not covet. 
sin, taking the opportunity by the commandment, produced, in, produced all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. But I was once alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and it killed me. Therefore the law is holy. And the commandment, holy and just and good, has that which has become death to me, that which is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what was good, or what is good, that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. And then we get into the last point. And here, and just hear me on this. What he says is, is the problem the law? He says, no, the law is not weak. I'm the problem. And in a world where we want anyone else and everything else to be the problem but us, now please understand, the context of this is fruitfulness. And here's the issue. Imagine this. Imagine, if you will, I'm sorry, Landon and Rachel, I've got to pick on you guys because there's not a lot of married couples in the room at the moment. Let's just say that, that Rachel has a real problem with Landon slurping noodles. But as she has a real problem with that, she gets so upset about it, but she also really, really wants to have a baby. And because she really wants to have a baby, she actually isn't anywhere near him because she's like, I'm so angry at him because he slurped his noodles. We went to this Vietnamese place yesterday, and he slurped noodles. He was, it was disgusting. It was like wagging towels all over the place. It was like hosing off the, the lawn, and I fled for my life, and I'm not going to go near him. And he goes, but you want a baby. Well, I don't care because it's his problem. It's his problem. It's his problem. And God says, no, you know what? You're both going to need to deal with this. And here's the issue on this. We want to be fruitful with the Lord, but we're so caught up in our own thing and we want to blame everyone else. But the problem isn't the law. The problem isn't the word. The problem is us. And in a world where we want to blame the church and we want to blame, you know, oh, there's that other guy and there's that guy on TV and there's that guy with the suit and all that. And God says, just shut up about all of your excuses and realize you've got the same sin in you too. And if you have the same sin, deal with your own problem because if you don't deal with your own problem, you won't bear fruit. Well, I'm not going to go near that. I'm not going to go near church because that church is messed up. Have you ever been there? No, but I've seen messed up churches. Okay, every person that I've ever known that's got food poisoning from a restaurant still has gone to another restaurant sooner or later. Maybe not the same one, but they will. Well, I went to a restaurant and got food poisoning, so restaurants are evil. Sooner or later, you're going to be hungry. Or worse yet, I ate food and it made me sick. I'm not eating food anymore. Sooner or later, there will be a hunger inside of you that says, fool, feed yourself. And God puts a desire for fellowship. He puts a desire to be unified with Christ so that we can bear that fruit. And he goes, is the law the problem? No. Let me tell you how bad the problem is with me. Look at the last verses and we'll close this up. And would you believe it? We may actually get through the two chapters. You're thinking, Really? For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal and sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I don't practice. What I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree that the law is good, but it's not, well, but now it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, now that's in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For will is present in me, 
But how to perform what is good, I, I, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I don't do. But the evil that I will not to do, oh, that I practice. Now, can I just say, before I even get to the end of this, Paul is writing this. I want to remind you, 20 plus years into his ministry, for those of you who are like, I don't know if God could ever use me, I still deal with sin. Paul is saying, why do I do what I, I know is wrong? What I really know is right, I don't find myself doing that. Now that's, again, we've already dealt with it. That's no excuse to sin. We've already dealt with that. But you need to know. Paul knows what it's like to deal with it. 30 years, 35 years into his ministry. Verse 21 I find in Allah that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Please understand, Paul did not look at this and go, oh, it's not such a big deal. Wretched means wretched. Paul looked and goes, this is abominable. Wicked, awful, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I will serve the law of God, but the flesh loves sin. Let me give this, remember how this started? It started with the fact in chapter 6 with that you're a dead guy and there's a living guy. Why do you want to be the dead guy when you're going to be the living guy now? Are you with me on that? Okay, come here for a second, would you? I'm going to use you too, Bjorn, if that's okay. Come on over here for a second. And you can do this. Go ahead and just sit like if you were a sock puppet or a... Uh, what do they call those things? You know, yeah, just pretend to be dead. There you go. Awesome. I figured you would do that well. The Romans were amazing at the ways that they actually tortured people to death. And they did it as heinous as they possibly could for good reason. Because every horrible torture that they gave to a prisoner was a warning to every other prisoner. It was called preventative. And it was very successful. Well, understand, if you did anything that was heinous, that was a question to the authority of Rome, those were the biggest targets. One of the punishments they gave is the very term Paul uses in the second to the last verse, and that's body of death. And this is how it looks. They took a living prisoner, and they took a dead prisoner, and they strapped the dead prisoner onto the living prisoner chained him by arms and by legs. Dead prisoner. Now, it doesn't matter how living this prisoner is. The dead one's going to win. It isn't like... (laughs) This is getting worse. (laughs) He's a big dead guy. You know? And you're doing really well at being dead. Thank you, Bill. Okay, and follow me on this for a second. He, the dead guy, 
will start to decay and erode and stink. That will eat through the clothing on the living guy. Ultimately, the toxins and the bacteria, like Staphylococcus bacteria, which is a flesh-eating bacteria, starts to seep then into the skin of the living prisoner till ultimately the two of them become one and they're both dead. Do you get it? Now, could you agree this is disgusting? Let me give you another term for that. Wretched. Paul says, why do I do what I don't want to do? Because it's this guy. And I know that in me nothing good dwells. But he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you get it? And he says, I thank God. Because this is what Jesus did. (laughs) Thanks, Lord. Go have a seat. Listen, 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 listen. Before you gave your life to Jesus, all you were was Bjorn. I mean, yeah, <laughs> sorry, Bjorn. He's like, dang, it shouldn't have gone to church tonight. Yeah, yeah, you, now you're Bjorn again. Yeah, right, thank you. All right, now follow me on this. Okay, thanks, Shirley. You really helped me with that. Okay, listen, before all you were was the dead body. That's all you were. And then you got saved. And you became a living body. And somewhere you think, but I liked that old body better. I just want to go and drag that guy along with me. And that's what we do. He says, who will deliver me from this? It started with the fact you were a dead body that's now a living guy, and there's still a dead guy, right? It ends with the idea that the two of them got reunited. And he says, who's going to deliver me from that? And he goes, oh, thank God through Jesus. Do you get it? Chapter 8, where we'll get next week, God willing, will all be about, listen, 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 about walking in the Spirit. Because you know what that is? What happens when that body has been cut off of you and you're now just the living guy. All of those promises you want to claim in chapter 8, I want to challenge how many of them you're going to see who walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Do you see that? It's like, well, this is no condemnation. We'll read the rest of the verse. It's kind of like God says, hey, if you, you know, if you show up, I'll give you this blessing. You didn't show up, but you're waiting for the blessing. God says, I told you, show up. So please hear me as we go to prayer. Have you accepted that gift of Jesus? Or are you still trying to earn what God wants to give you, first of all? Because if, if, if you haven't, you're dead. But God would like to make you alive today. If you are, let me ask you, what are you flirting with? Are you presenting your body is an instrument of unrighteousness anywhere. Hey, when my kid says, when I tell one of my children you can't have a cookie and they're standing next to the cookie jar, I get a little nervous. And I tell my children, a heart that is to be near sin is a heart that's to sin. But I have to take that to myself too. Is there any area where I'm kind of standing close to something and go, well, I'm close, but what's the deal? Look, at carelessness is sinful. I don't want to go and submit myself to anything that could, again, rule me when I should be submitting myself to the Lord to watch God change lives.
That's the choice I need to make now. Look at you're not who you were. Right? That's the whole idea. If you have accepted the gift of Jesus, it's time for us to start embracing who we are now. Because that old person, the farther you get stinky, decaying, dead guy away from you, the better you're both going to be for it, you and everyone around you. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you for these two gorgeous chapters. And I recognize, Lord, so much has been said today. But in the simplest sense, we've been challenged not to live who we were because we're not who we were. Not to dig ourselves back into sin because we don't want to submit ourselves to the master of that anymore. We don't want to put ourselves under the submission or the service of sin that leads to shame, that leads to unrighteousness, that leads to lawlessness, which leads to further further lawlessness, which leads to death. We don't want anything. Lord, if you've delivered us from cancer, we don't ever want to go near cancer. That just makes sense. And so, Lord, please give us a heart to leave who we were to let you reinvent us the way you want to. And I want to thank you for the privilege of your beautiful word. But Lord, you haven't just set us free so that we could just feel like free agents. You've set us free so that we could bear fruit to you, that we could be united to you. And in being united to you, we could actually be free to bear the fruit you ordain. And Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that you've severed from us that body of death, that we could walk in the newness of life. We could walk in Christ Jesus in the Spirit, and no longer serve in the flesh the things which brought about death and shame. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would please give us that heart that would quickly and gladly leave everything that doesn't look like you behind to embrace who you have for us ahead of us. And Lord, right now, within the sound of this voice, if there be anyone who has not accepted your gift, I pray right now this would be the night they'd say yes. And beloved, if that is you, if you don't know if you've ever accepted the gift of Jesus, you could know by saying yes tonight. I'm going to pray a prayer. I ask you to listen. And if you agree, I ask you just to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be mine. And here it is. God, I confess to you I'm a sinner. I'm dead in my transgression and sin. I'm guilty before you, but you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross that I deserve, though he did not, so that he could pay my price, and you call that grace. And there you offered a payment for my sin so that I didn't have to go to hell. But in accepting that gift, the old person, the person that I am at the moment, the guilty, selfish person could be buried and put away could be rendered idle and useless you ripped out his transmission and then with that as jesus was buried you buried him and then as he rose from the grave you gave me new life and i accept it i say yes i want to do more than just accept your gift i want to surrender myself to you with no holes barred with no area you can't go near so that you could reinvent me completely and make me what you ordained me to be so here i am I'm yours now. Implant within me your DNA. Adopt me as your own and make me everything you intend. In Jesus' name, I am yours. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.